you're listening to the Whitewater Podcast. First off, we just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Whitewater is doing, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org give or click on give in the show notes. Let's dive into this week's message together. Welcome back to week two of Counselor's Corner. How are you doing with the stress, anxiety, and the feeling of maybe being overwhelmed in this season? Psalm 69 says this, Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water, and the floods are overwhelming me. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Now, in this opening passage, I, 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 the images that stick out are that of like falling into a pit that's like muddy and you can't find your footing. You can't find a way out of the pit that you've fallen in. Often emotionally, mentally, we can fall into a pit like that. The other image is like being uh, in the water, in deep water, and you can barely keep your head above the waterline. And I think so often when we start going through anxiety and stress mentally and emotionally, that's what it feels like. And it can be a short period of time or it can be a long period of time. Um, it can be chronic or it can be in, in spurts. I, I love the, the way that this psalm finishes. In verse 13, it says, But I keep praying to you, Lord, hoping this time you will show me your favor. In your unfailing love, O God, answer my prayer with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. Take me from those who hate me. Pull me from these deep waters. Don't let the floods overwhelm me or the deep waters swallow me or the pit of death devour me. Answer my prayers, O Lord, for your unfailing love is wonderful. Take care of me for your mercy is so plentiful. Don't hide from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in deep trouble. So I'll ask it again. How are you dealing with the, the feelings of being overwhelmed? Here at Whitewater, we want to make sure you know that we care about your emotional and mental state and that God cares about your mental and emotional state. The Psalms are written in the language of emotion. The authors of the Psalms often poured out their mental anguish, their emotional pain and anger to God. You know, do you ever get real with him that way? I want to encourage you to make sure that you, you are expressing what is honestly going on in your life to God. We see this with Jesus when he was overwhelmed at times in ministry, like right before going to the cross, he poured out his heart, his fears, his frustration to God in prayer. He communicated honestly with his heavenly father. God wants us to be honest with how we feel and where our minds are at. Jesus came to give life, life to the full, holistic healing for our mind, body, soul, and relationships. And if you haven't had the feelings of being overwhelmed, probably someone in your life, maybe a family member or a friend, has. This series is for you, your friends, and your family. It's a series to help move us all forward on our journey, maybe from mental and emotional stress and anxiety toward wholeness. And we think it's crucial for the church to remove the stigma around mental health issues. 
If you or anyone else you know are struggling, we want you to get the help that you need. And we have mental health resources to help uh, be tools for that journey. And uh, we just want to encourage you to, to do anything and everything you can to move toward wholeness and health. I want to encourage you to share this conversation with a friend or a family member that might be really overwhelmed right now. Guys, we love you so much. Question one, what advice would you give to parents and children moving into this upcoming school year? Good question. I think as we as kids are going back to school and we're transitioning into kind of a more normal form of school, I think it's really, really important that you check in on expectations, both um, as a parent and as a student, mainly because I think we just want so badly for school to be normal, for this fall to feel like it, it used to be when we went to school. Um, and it's it's not. It's not going to be the same, right? And so I think we really need to have those conversations as families about expectations. Mom and dad, what are your expectations of what school's going to look like this year with the kids? And then have that conversation with your kids that are going to school. What are their hopes and what are their expectations around school? Because I think if we go into this fall with the expectation that school's going to be like it used to, we're going to have a lot of frustration, we're going to have even more anxiety, and we're going to have a lot of disappointment. Know, as a part of those expectations, that we're all fatigued. We're all emotionally and mentally fatigued. Um, and our bandwidth for being with people is actually pretty significantly lower. So for your, for your kiddos to go from being at home um, for school to now Monday through Friday being back in school, they're going to be exhausted. And I have families tell me, oh, we didn't we didn't change our life around the pandemic. We, we kept life normal. We haven't made any differences. There's actually so many differences. Whether you felt like you changed that in your family culture or not, um, there is differences in that kids were not publicly in school, or if they were, they were very socially distanced in small classrooms, um, with masks and, you know, whatever safety protocols that schools put in place. Um, and they're just in smaller circles. So going from that to now full-time school is going to be a big shift mentally, emotionally, and physically. So I would create a lot of bandwidth for rest and a lot of bandwidth for grace for each other, I would just anticipate this transition being a little bumpy um, and kids being a little extra tired. And that's okay. That doesn't mean something's wrong. It just means we're all adjusting to this new normal. And then I would encourage you, kids are really, you know, they're really adaptable. <laughs> they are amazing at taking on transitions in many ways much better than we are as adults. You think about kids when they like fall down flat on their face and then hop back up and keep running, right? We say they're made of their bones are made of rubber. In so many ways, their their ability to adapt to different social changes is oftentimes better than us. So be careful not to even put on your maybe anxiety or disappointment about the year onto them and just let them enjoy the process that that they're going to be going through with school. We as adults and teenagers, I would say, look out for your high school kids. 
We remember a lot about what life was like before this. Our younger kids, this is happening during so much of their primary developmental years. And while as adults, sometimes that makes us feel sad for them, the reality is this is somewhat normal for them. This is less maybe of a, you know, big tension point between what was and what is. For them, this is sort of what is. Um, And so just know they're going to adapt. They're going to they're going to go with the flow. And the more that you just give them opportunities to process that with you will be helpful. So I would encourage weekly check ins, just happy crappies or highs and lows, however you want to do that with your family. Just give opportunity for them to talk about something that went good and something that was challenging. Give space for that um, and give grace to yourself and to your kiddos. This is another big transition, but they have the tools they need and so do you. Question two, how and when should I set boundaries? I think you know that you need to set boundaries um, when you feel like you're paying the the price for not setting the boundary. So when you feel like when somebody walks into your house uninvited, whether they're a stranger or a familiar person, it's like, whoa, and it catches you off guard. If that's ever happened, that's the way boundaries actually work. It's like, whoa, I'm caught off guard here. I sort of don't even know how to respond in this situation. And that exists because a boundary wasn't actually set and communicated um, upfront. A lot of people think, wow, it's mean to put boundaries up. Uh, It's actually kind to put boundaries up. I think we tell ourselves that something bad will happen if we set a boundary that the relationship will end or something like that. Usually that's not the case. That's usually not actually a, a true narrative. So start small, start setting little boundaries, test them, see how it feels. And the responsibility is ours to communicate those boundaries, to have the hard conversations, to be brave with a smile on our face. Um, for the good of the relationship, ultimately, and for the good of, of uh, you know, the kingdom, like relationships are the currency of the kingdom. And so they're so vastly important to, to figure them out and understand them and, and breathe life into them. And you can do that by setting healthy boundaries. Question three, how do I rest and re-energize when I feel worn out or tired? I think self-care uh, is critical. And, and we approach at Neva Life, we approach self-care sort of like threefold because we believe we're body, mind, and spirit. We're made of, up of those three constituent parts. Um, it's important to address those when you're talking about self-care, when you're talking about rest. <clears throat> I can go sleep 12 hours and my spirit my heart and my mind can't actually be rested, right? I can wake up physically rested, but my my uh, mind and my spirit aren't actually rested. So whatever that looks like, you know, for you, obviously physical rest is important. What does spiritual rest look like? We don't talk about that a lot. I think that uh, it's really important though to rest your mind. You know, meditation is is not how it's always been seen or some people see it as, as sort of Middle Eastern uh, voodoo, you know, and it's not that, um, you know, God says, be still and know that I'm God. It's important to be still. Still, I was uh, fishing up in uh, Northeastern Washington over the weekend, and I was just struck by 
the the difference between stillness and movement. And I was fishing this beautiful little creek, and uh, and it was just just vibrant. It was just moving all over. Water was splashing, and it was loud and and kind of violent in some areas. And then in the, the juxtaposition of of what that was set against was this just perfectly windless still mountain scene, you know, with huge hills in the background and trees and nothing was moving except for this Creek. And I just thought like, that's God. That's such a cool picture of God, of how God moves so fast and powerfully and violently sometimes. And yet, and we can do that too. We can mimic that. And then we also need to be just absolutely perfectly still in our mind and in our spirit and allow space, allow God to speak to us, allow deep rest. Um, So meditation can be a, a part of that. It doesn't have to be, um, but it's it's pretty powerful to to um, practice mindfulness and, and learn how to to rest your brain. Question four: How do I respond to disagreements and tension with friends, family members, and coworkers? Well, we have all had some practice in this this year. Um, whether we've been successful or failed miserably in this area, I think we are all having tense conversations with friends and family. I know for me, it's been almost surprising. People that I've naturally agreed with for so much of my life, I'm finding this year, we have difference of opinions um, and we're kind of splitting on some things and that can be really uncomfortable. If you can keep relationship at the forefront, this is super important. So especially with friends and family, those relationships probably matter a lot to you. Um, and yes, the political or the, you know, just differences of opinions this year can feel like it is the main thing, but I would encourage you to try and keep the relationship the main thing. And if there are friends and family that you just can't have a good conversation with about those things, then maybe that needs to be the conversation is this is something we would rather not talk about when we're together, because I care about you, because I love you, and because I want relationship with you, that needs to be the priority. Do you have people in your life that you can share open with, openly about those frustrations or the things that you're processing with? It's not going to be everybody, but I encourage you to have one or two people where you do feel like you can connect and process with, because we are processing a lot this year. And if that needs to be in therapy, then yeah, find a good therapist that that you feel like you can process that with. Find someone you can openly process with. And then know who you can't also. Question five, how do I deal with anxiety and fear? Anxiety is fascinating to me um, because the more you try to control it, the less control you feel over it. Um, and so there's some real specific ways, uh, to deal with anxiety. Um, a big one of them is mindfulness. So in other words, paying attention to the thought that you have when you're having the thought. Um, so externalizing yourself from that thought and not actually staying in the soup, but going, well, I just had the sun. I'm just going to kind of let that go. I'm not going to try to control it. I'm not going to, you know, meditate on it or think about it too long. I'm just going to let it go. Um, so that's one quick, you know, tip to dealing with anxiety. Fear is is also interesting because it's um, it's natural, it's healthy, it keeps us alive a lot of times, but it's never a good basis for decision making. We should never make a decision 
based on fear or have that be the loudest voice that we're actually listening to. You should, you should be wise about it. We should lead with wisdom in our decision-making and have a, a logical process for that, right? Not an emotional fear-based process. Um, we're not supposed to have a, a spirit of fear. Um, so wisdom is always just on the other side of that. We just have to skip over, skip over the fear sometimes and go, you know what? I'm not actually going to make a decision based on that fear. Question six, does God care about my mental health? All of the work that Leanne and I do at Nova Life um, and all of our clinicians comes from um, Jesus' mandate that he came to have help people be healthier in John 10, 10, I've come that you would have life and have it more fully. And I think that God um, leaves the, the tennis ball on our side of the court and says like, it's up to you. Are you going to choose to pick this thing up and volley it back my way um, and heal and grow and learn and engage with that life to the full? Or are you just going to walk around with your tennis racket and wander around on your side of the court, hoping that you get better um, or hoping that you feel different? So our brains, um, you know, are able to rewire themselves. Um, the latest leading brain research tells us that we're not actually stuck in the ways, you know, of function or dysfunction, but that we can actually leverage the way that God created our physiology to, to get to, to a deeper, healthier level of, of more meaning and health. Um, for most people, what stands in the way of that is, is like shame or embarrassment or if somebody really knew me, they wouldn't, they wouldn't love me. And I don't feel safe or I don't feel loved. Um, you know, on the other side of that is, is a, is a wonderful uh, life of, of freedom and fullness and joy. I'm convinced that the, the people that, you know, pursue better mental health, whether that means counseling or coaching or come into one of our clinics, um, they're so brave. Um, in, in the work that they're doing. And it's so encouraging to get to see that and to get to see uh, relationships get better and, and individuals get better and individuals just understand why they do what they do. Like that's so, that's so life-giving for me, like me understanding like why I do the things that I do sometimes is just so empowering. It's just um, really, really a life-giving process. The following story includes some elements that may be triggering for some individuals, including topics of sexual assault and depression. When I think about growing up in uh, the church and in a homeschooled community, mental health was never really a conversation that uh, was had around me. I would think about or hear about people who maybe had anxiety or depression, eating disorders or self-harm tendencies. All of those were um, almost treated as attention-seeking behaviors and not real problems that needed to be addressed. When I was nearing the end of high school, I had plans to go to my dream school and had a path for my life that I was really excited about. And about a month before I was supposed to leave for school, I was raped. The aftermath of that, I, I had a lot of guilt and, and shame around that, just feeling like there was something that I, I could have or should have done differently. I didn't share that experience with anyone because I was afraid of 
of those questions coming up, the validity of, of what had happened to me or, or how was it going to change other people's perspective of me. And I just had to kind of sit with it. Um, and so that was the first time that I had suicidal thoughts. It just felt like it was going to continue being that heavy and hard. And I didn't feel like I had the energy to keep going. A few years later, right around the time that my husband and I were getting married, we lost my brother-in-law to suicide. And just kind of watching the way that that grief just tore through my family um, put me in a position where I had to have a lot of honest conversations with God. I remember talking to God and just kind of going, I don't want to be swallowed by this and I don't want to put my family through this again. I was still struggling with suicidal thoughts. I felt like my mental health had kind of been on like a pendulum swing where it would be okay and then it would get worse. And I, you know, opened up to my husband and my best friend and was like, hey, I'm struggling with suicidal thoughts and I don't want to be. <laughs> so then was able to get a counselor, did the whole online therapy thing and um, got diagnosed with severe depression and anxiety, which was no shock. Then was prescribed medication and the difference has been night and day. I think I felt like I wasn't able to talk about what I was struggling with because if I was anything except for joyful and bubbly, then it said something about my relationship with God not being strong enough, which is totally untrue. Um, and I know that now, but it was it, it took me a while to get there. Often the church has been in the past uh, a place where I would feel like I had to put on a face or I had to pretend like I had it together. And in reality, that's not what the church is um, or, or should be. It should be a place where we're able to be open about our brokenness and pain and our failings and in community kind of find support and healing. It's really important to give yourself grace as you're trying to find your way back to health. You might have little dips back into depression, but it's okay for that process to be messy. Progress is progress. Having conversations about mental health in the church is, is so vital because it opens that door for people and it kind of breaks down that barrier of, yeah, you don't have to show up perfect. You don't have to show up in your mental Sunday best. You can show up as you are and be messy and imperfect. God sees it all and knows it all, and his church is there to support you through it. Lord, I've got the world upon my shoulders. But you've been saying, child, put it down. I prayed and prayed that you would take my burden. But you keep saying, child, put it down. Maybe I'm addicted to the worry. Maybe I'm a slave to hope. Put it down Cause I've heard it said The gospel is rest Oh, how I need it 
someone you know is dealing with anxiety or depression or suicidal thoughts, please, please don't stay silent about it. You can check out our website at whitewaterchurch.org slash mental health for a list of resources. And if you need to, please reach out to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. We love you guys. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.